Welcome to the underground. Turn me up, bitch! My Little Underground with Peter A. It's My Little Underground. I'm Peter A. Make sure you're subscribed anywhere you get podcasts and follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at MLUPod. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It's Peter underscore A. Today on the show, we got the Brooklyn-based L.A. bread artist Nayala. We'll talk about their brand new single, Lately, their Reflections EP from 2019, balancing schoolwork and recording an EP, some takeaways that they learned from studying pop music over at USC, their Loft Sessions initiative, therapy, and so much more right here on My Little Underground. And you, you can curse and everything. There's okay. no no restrictions <laughs> at all. <laughs> okay, I appreciate the transparency off that. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, some some are like, oh, can I curse? Right after they say, shit, fuck, shit, right. fuck. They say, oh, can I curse? You know, <laughs> you know, so I thought I'd just clear the air by the way. Anyway, welcome to My Little Underground. Thank you for uh, coming out and hanging out on a Tuesday. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that. Here. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about your latest single, Lately. You put that out back in June on Bandcamp Day. Yes. So has Bandcamp waiving their fees every month helped you out at all? Yeah. Um, well, okay. Originally, ooh, my headphones just fell. One second. We love a malfunction. It wouldn't be music if there wasn't a malfunction. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one big malfunction music, I think. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. We're back. I'm sitting down. Um, yeah, so I actually just recently made my band camp. I, prior to this, was more so a, like, streaming artist. Um, like, I went to college, I went to USC for the pop music program, and um, they basically teach you more so about touring and streaming and recording, but, like, not really focused on, like, uh, physicals so it was very scary at first to tap into the world of Bandcamp um, but I really appreciate how Bandcamp and so many other organizations and companies are taking the time to put artists first and prioritize the need for artists to be able to make a living you know especially right now when we're in the midst of this pandemic and it's you know folks aren't really able to get out we're not able to perform so i'm really uh appreciative of Bandcamp in that space because even with just putting lately on there like within the first i don't know the first week or so making like a couple hundred dollars i was like oh this is cool that, you know, I don't have to wait for like a hundred thousand streams to get a check. <laughs> wow. So yeah, it was, it's cool. I really fuck with it. I have a lot of friends who are like more so in the underground. I mean, I would say that I'm in the underground scene, but more so like deep in like that lo-fi R&B hip hop scene. And they're constantly releasing stuff on Bandcamp and they always were pushing me to do it. So I'm happy that I'm now in that loop. Um, Cause people like artists don't realize like, how much how great it is to be able to get direct funding from people and from your fans you know like with uh playlisting and with any other like streaming platform like you know it takes a minute for you to get a check so shout out to Bandcamp for that <laughs> I don't know if they want me to like, if they want to pay me for that but shout out to Bandcamp for the <laughs> well I did a whole show on Bandcamp so I'm still waiting for my my check you know what oh, I'm saying <laughs> wow they got to get it together <laughs> yeah so when you were at USC there was never like Bandcamp was never brought up at all. Yeah. Did you go to class with any other like indie artists who may have had like some sort of knowledge about the service? No, not really. Like all of us, I feel like we're on the streaming game. Like, I don't know if you know who Umi is, but like Umi went to US or she still goes to USC. People like um, Muna, different folks like that. Like we all like uh, Ioni, who's... Um, She's great. She's about to graduate this upcoming year. So many different artists, like indie, independent artists. Um, you got to make me a list. You got to email yes. me these people. Oh, no, yeah, I got Please. you. Definitely. Um, yeah, like all of us, we weren't taught that. <laughs> you're not, You're. I feel like in at USC, they really highlight 
Okay, here are all the ways you can make money. So touring, um, collaborations. They, they talk a lot about playlisting, and they also talk about film and television a lot. So the ways that you can get your music placed in films, whether that be, like, shorts or independent or, like, you know, really big, like, dream work, HBO type of things. Um, but they don't really talk about Bandcamp. I feel like I wonder if in, like, the industry – like in the music industry, on the higher ups, like if they even go to Bandcamp still, like I know there's a lot of artists who are like people like Tyler, the creator, Thundercat, folks like that, like they're still on Bandcamp, you know, like they're constantly like, oh yeah, I found music on there. But I wonder if like people who are on a larger scale, folks like Beyonce, for example, or Jay-Z, like I just wonder, I'm like, so do y'all look on Bandcamp or do your people like... But it's not really taught, and it should be. But also, I think the reason why we're not really taught about Bandcamp is because they don't want us to make money. And by they, I mean, like, the industry at large. They're like, y'all artists, no, like, sell your soul. So I think that's also part of the reason why we don't really learn about it. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised that you didn't have at least, like, maybe one or two classmates that might have known about it. No. It's, you know? Wow. Yeah, or if they did, they probably kept it on the low. Yeah. Which is yeah. a whole separate conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> and when you were doing your Reflections EP last year, like how did you balance being a student and being a musician? Like what was your main priority at that point? School oh or God. just getting your your uh, your EP done? It was both. <laughs> like I had to, I feel like my whole life is a game of balance. And like I was put on this earth to learn how to balance and how to have like duality and whatnot. Um, and in college, like that's literally what I was doing. So <sighs> classes were crazy. I mean, the first two years of college, you start at least three days a week at 8 a.m. Like there's no way out of it as like a pop music major because you have oral skills, music theory, ear training, music history. There's all these classes that are requirements that you have to take super early in the morning. <laughs> so imagine starting your day at like I mean, I lived far from campus my sophomore year on. So imagine getting up at like seven every day and then like you get in every day at like between eight and 10 o'clock, more so 10 o'clock because you have rehearsals, your classes are jam packed. The way that uh, the Thornton School of Music pop program is set up, you have all basically they like lower the amount of units each class is worth so that you can take more shit so like a regular college student is taking four at, at usc is taking four or five classes at least each class being like four units right in the music program it's no okay ear training's one unit uh music history is two units like your lessons are one unit, blah, 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 blah. Your performance class is two units. So you're basically taking seven to nine, really seven to 10 classes a semester. Um, and that was really hard, but I'm always been like a student. I'm very much like a student uh, to this day. Um, so it wasn't really hard for me to like manage my time, but it gets very overwhelming because a lot of things have to give and take. Like I had to go in and out of, being an artist sometimes and performing for two months straight and then I wouldn't perform because I had to focus on school and I had to make sure that my grades were up. Um, and so that was very, I don't want to, I mean, I, it was hard, but I feel like it was a really big learning lesson. Like it taught me how to have my hand in multiple buckets and to be able to do everything well, like not turn in everything and it be a C. Um, and it also taught me that like, you know, if you're doing seven or eight different things, sometimes you're going to have like one or two of those things is going to fail or isn't going to be as great as you hoped. But, you know, like you just got to keep going. So school really taught me how to balance. Like I would be in class. I would purposely make my schedule where like I would have at least two or three days a week where I had like 12 hours of class or like tw or 12 hours of rehearsal or whatever. And then like the rest of the week would be free so that I could do work, so that I could nap, so I could write music, so I could go to the studio, record, um, so it was very like very much a like Tetris game, an active Tetris game when it came to balancing school and music. But I did it. Um, and I've seen so many more people after me do it so well. Um, like I'm very thankful to I, I, I mean, I would say like I was one of those people who was like a building block of no, you can be an artist and you can be a student and you can be great at both. 
because we didn't really see that before at USC. It was more so like people would get into their stardom and then they drop out. Or like they would try, try, try to get through school and then they would just like put their artistry to the side until they graduated. So it was a very big balancing act. But I mean, I'm still very much that way to this day. Like I have my day jobs, like I do a lot of project management work. I'm working for my friend's production company right now. So I'm doing like project management in terms of timelines, making sure that the work is getting done, making sure we're doing things in a timely manner, which is all skills that I've learned from being a full-time artist and musician. So it's cool to be able to do that. And then like to do this, like, you know, it'd be six o'clock and then now I'm doing my art things, you know, like now I'm sitting here like having an interview or I'm working on music or I'm hanging out with a friend and talking about art and whatnot. So it was, yeah, long story, but (laughs) very much like a balancing act. Um, But I wouldn't, I would not change it and I wouldn't trade it in because there's such, there's so many people who come out of programs like that, like, not being heavily skilled in something like having their hands in multiple things, but not being, I don't want to say the best, but not being advanced or highly skilled, you know? Um, so I feel good about that. I have no regrets. What was the the biggest takeaway for you, for your popular music curriculum? And I'm sure that you, you might've taken some of the things you might've learned and applied it to your music. Right. I would say, number one, that black people invented everything because in school, they like, Ain't that the truth? No, seriously, like in school, they're constantly trying to shove down your throat that music started in the 1700s in Europe and all this shit that doesn't fucking make sense. And then like you go to your performance class and it's like, how come all the music that we're working on from the 30s, from the 20s to now, so basically 100 years of music, how come all of this music is basically black if it wasn't written by us or if it wasn't performed by us, like it was inspired by our culture or by our um, influences. So that was one thing (laughs) that I pulled away from school. Um, And then number two, I would say that I, that I'm more gifted than I give myself credit. Like USC's Thornton program was a hard ass fucking program. Like only hundreds and thousands of people apply, only a couple hundred get auditions, and then only 25 people make it every year. So just reminding myself of like, I'm so capable, not only because I was able to beat those odds, I didn't get in the first time and then reapply again and get and I was able to get in, but also to like, see the ways in which like because I'm a good student I'm a great artist because I'm always willing to learn like I'm always willing to be open to new experiences um and if it wasn't for I mean no I feel like if it wasn't for going to USC I wouldn't have learned that like I wouldn't have been like spoon-fed all of this material that I can now regurgitate off the top of my head like people can talk to me about like oh have you ever thought about having your music in film like well what what are the pros and cons of that and I can sit and tell you the pros and cons or like oh I've had experience in this or da 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 so I am very thankful for not only the access to the information that I received but also just the information itself um Cause this was stuff, such vital stuff that is a lot of it's really logical, but we are not taught that like artists, especially independent artists, especially um, artists from like multicultural backgrounds. So like black and brown people, queer and trans folks, women, like we're not given the same resources as our white peers who've been raised since they were five taking piano lessons or vocal lessons or whatever the fuck. Um, So to be able to just be in that space was such a blessing. Cause I was like, oh shit. Like I already know a lot of this, but when you're not outside of the academic space, the uh, knowledge and the materials and the information that we know about music, we know through like slang and other terms, you know? So to be able to go into school and then be like, oh, okay, like that's what you mean when you're saying like, we're talking about the kick drum and that that's what you mean when you're saying that the music feels smooth and it's legato. Okay, like these are the quote technical terms, but I've are always known this information, you know? Yeah, I think that's great that you have that that takeaway and you're able to love yourself and your your culture mm-hmm. while maneuvering in a white dominated space. Yes. And your your a cappella group aside from the lack of the diversity mm-hmm. and people touching your hair without consent, what are some positive lessons that you've learned from being in this group that you may have or may have not applied to your music? 
Oh my gosh. I am so happy that people bring this up <laughs> because it was such a painful time. Um, for me, that whole experience taught me the importance of being mindful of who you have in your corner and how much information and how much access you allow people to have of you. Like, when I, not to say that, like, this is not me specifically referring to the hair thing, but just like a lesson that I learned from that was like, here I am protecting myself, being like, I don't feel comfortable. Like, you guys are objectifying me. You're exoticizing me. Like, I'm giving you these terms and I'm defining these terms for you, which is extreme labor as a black queer femme. But you're demanding that I do it for you as if you don't have an iPhone that's more advanced than mine um, <laughs> or like five computers or whatever. Um, I feel like that really showed me because like I was I was just speaking my truth. I was like, hey, this I'm feeling unsafe. Like, I don't feel comfortable. And somebody who really loves you and really cares about you will sit and honor how you are feeling and how their actions have made you feel, you know, and they're going to make an effort to at least right their wrongs or change their behavior. And so from that instance, to see that that was not how I like receive support and like even to have there were other people of color in the group who were also shaming me and like trying to beg for me to come back because of them like they wanted they wanted somebody else they wanted me and my bluntness and my directness but they didn't want me as a person as like Nyala so that whole experience really just taught me to be mindful and to like trust some trust your gut and also trust like when somebody's when somebody shows you themselves like believe that shit because, I mean, the hair thing was the worst thing, but there have been so many microaggressive things that happened prior. Like, and even after that, like I left the group and there's a whole thing where if you leave these acapella groups, like you have a vow of safety and like privacy. So they're not supposed to repeat why you left. Three months later, they repeated why I left. And next thing you know, I'm getting bombarded with all of these white people and their stupid apologies, not even apologies, them them begging me to apologize to them for leaving, even though you physically touched me and basically we can call it assault. It's not that deep, but like you basically touched me without my consent on several occasions. So that really just showed me like not, you know, like not all white people are fucked up, but a lot of them are. And <laughs> I, it's not like I'm not going to sit and be heartbroken about it because the reality is, is there's 500 years of bullshit that has not been worked through for them as an collective that me and my black folks we still have to work through we're still working through the trauma so I've, I feel like that taught me to not take white gays so like as the gays you know like not like taking white gays as the thing that I need for validation um yeah that really taught me that and then I would think I would say another thing that taught me was the ways that we all have our own privileges, you know, and like the way it's it's important that we check ourselves consistently on our privileges and check ourselves on the ways that, you know, we can oppress somebody else. Like there were there was like a, there were a couple other black people who knew about this situation who were like in the group or were allies of the group. And, you know, they're sitting here gaslighting me, telling me to take one for the team. But it's like here you are a black man trying to tell me in my black femininity, like tell me how I need to exist. But like your hair isn't long. They're not touching your hair. You're not being objectified in the same ways as me or like white women, like white women trying to be buddy, buddy with me in, you know, in the face of men. But then when it comes to race, they want to be quiet or they want to change the subject. So I, that just really taught me that like, really, I just have to continue to stick with my own and continue to put black folks first, put folks first put black folks and people first who are prioritizing inclusivity and intersectionality in their work and in the work that they support because it's one thing for you to be like oh yeah like I care about black people oh yeah black lives matter whoop 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 but then like when you have somebody who's a black person in your life directly and they are telling you like yo you're doing some violent behavior and violence c doesn't have to be physical you know like it can be emotional or mental or whatever um 
it's about like what do you do at home like you can use your twitter fingers but when somebody calls you out on your behavior directly are you going to get defensive or are you going to be willing to get checked and to work on yourself because the only reason why somebody's calling you out is out of care like I'm, I'm calling you out because i want you to do better like i'm calling you out so somebody else doesn't beat your ass really <laughs> mm. and and it's like i'm not everybody's gonna be as nice as me not everybody is gonna be you know not everybody not gonna blow up you know some days i might blow up some days i might not but it's like just being mindful of that like that really just taught me to continue to not just not take things personally that's something i'm i'm still working on as a 22 year old i'll probably still be working on it for a little bit longer but yeah to not take things personally and to just remember that like i know my heart I know my intention. I know why I'm here. And if you're going to sit and try to say that something I need is unnecessary, okay, we don't have to interact. <laughs> I don't really get offended anymore. Those, those white people really taught me that, and I'm thankful for that. You you really just got the big picture, because I'm yeah. thinking you're, you're in a acapella group. You might have picked up oh, harmonies, arrangements, but no, you're seeing Black consciousness, love yourself, know yourself. Wow. Yeah. And not even just love yourself, but like respect yourself. Like, yeah. I mean, yes, on the musical realm, I really got a lot like in terms of harmony, in terms of arrangement, especially I feel like in terms of arrangement, because we made our own arrangements in um, the acapella group on Troy Tones. I don't care. I'll drop the name. Um, but well, not but. And um, but I do feel, actually know, but, but I do feel like harmony and stuff like that. I was learning before acapella group. Like I was in, uh, I was in show choir when I was in, um, high school. I was in classical chamber choir all through high school, middle school. Like I did musical theater. So I know harmony, like harmony is easy for me. I'm one of those people where like a song can play and I'll just start harmonizing to it and I'll switch the harmonies in the midst of it. Um, I would say though that. Uh, being in an acapella group did help me in terms of any being in any sort of group. I really urge like upcoming artists to not only do solo work, but also do group work um, because it helps you look at the bigger picture and to focus on the music, right? Like it's not all about you. You're able to sit and be like, okay, the altos are kind of too loud. Like we need to hear the, the bass, the bass and the second tenor. So let's, you know, let's blend and create a picture. I feel like when you're in a group, it's all about, okay, let's come together and create a oneness, like a one sound, one energy versus, um, when you're a solo artist, there's so much more that you have to think about and very important stuff that you have to think about. I just think it's important that we get the balance of both because it's important to understand what it's like to be the lead, what it's like to be the ensemble member, what it's like to be the tech, you know, what it's like to be behind the scenes. Um, I'm very much a firm believer in shifting roles because in order for you to do your role well, you, you kind of have to know what other people are doing, you know, like you kind of do have to know like what, like why we have these particular roles and why these particular people are doing what they're doing. So, so when you came, when you came to New York, yeah, did you see the same amount of lack of diversity that you, the, like the, the same lack of diversity in the music scene here in New York that you did when you were in your acapella group? Mm -mm. Not at all. Um, first of all, I'm so thankful to be able to live in New York and to be able to be a part of the arts community out here because the arts community here is like nothing I've ever seen. Um, I definitely see like black the black community in LA and the arts black community in LA is definitely taking mad notes um, because the way that folks just show up for each other here is just fucking beautiful. Hold on one second, let me turn off my AC because it's mad loud. <laughs> okay, I'm back. Look, I get it. It's very very hot today. So no, it's so fucking hot. You're in? Are you in New York too? Yeah, I'm out on Long Island. Oh my god. Yeah. 
What is it like over there? Isn't there water? So is it a little bit cooler? No? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, yeah, we still, it's the same kind. The thing is, like, we're more spread out than, you know, than you guys are in the boroughs. Yeah. But it's still, it's still hot as hot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, <laughs> Only, like, 30 minutes away from you. So it's the same amount of it's hot. The same shit. <laughs> no, it's the same shit. Facts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like, within the music community in New York... There is like, I love how everybody's for collaboration. Like everybody's really on this community focus, like where they're like, okay, like I don't need to do everything by myself. Like I can do it as a collective. Like I can sit and like be my own individual and have my own network and all that. But I can also lend my network and I can also collaborate with other artists who have similar focuses, similar intentions and like, not only spread music and share music, but also like share knowledge and insight. Mm. I really fuck with the community here. Like, and also realness is so important. And I'm so thankful that New York is a place where like, you can't bullshit. In LA, I mean, granted, that's my city. I love LA. However, the fuck, I mean, granted, I'm a transplant in New York. The transplants in LA though, in the same way in New York, it's like they be fucking shit up because when people be like, oh my God, LA is so bad. Oh, I get so stressed. Da, da, da. I'm like, you've been hanging around transplants too much because <laughs> real LA people, you know, we chilling. We are focused on community and we're focused on, you know, doing right by our folks. But it is really hard to be able to do that when there's so many people who aren't from the space who are then trying to claim LA and then are trying to like do work for the community, but like it's more so performative. Like I'm so thankful that there's things like, uh, like pray for the hood. I'm so thankful for things like make Crenshaw great again. And um, ah, fuck, what is it called? I think it's South Central Cleanup. Like different initiatives like that, that were started by people from Los Angeles, from South Central, you know, recognizing that, okay, like we're the next generation. If we're not sitting here taking care of ourselves and doing right by our community and doing right by our ancestors and our parents, like what the fuck are we doing? Like we can't let everything go to waste. So I'm thankful to be seeing like that there's an uprising of that in LA. But what I love about New York is how that's such a regular, like, like for example one of my like I just moved and one of my roommates she has uh this like event series where basically um she will collect resources for different like homeless folks or folks who are in need so whether that be diapers pads clothes water whatever like she will host like let's say like a house party of some sort and the entry will be people bringing these supplies and then there's artists who are performing artists who are sharing their work so it becomes a whole collaborative experience you know where it's like we're recognizing that art and community aren't separate things they're together and art and social justice and community activism are like they're all intersecting and if you aren't doing like various things like you know if you're just creating art like that's cool but you also got to find ways to show up for your folks and do right by community and do the work so I love that in New York like New York is dope because niggas are like all right so what the fuck you doing like what what the fuck are you doing (laughs) I love that I love that it's just so community focused that's why I wanted to move here like when I was still visiting here in college I I almost went to school out here but the program at USC was much better and um I wanted to move out here because the first time I came out here I was like oh my god look at all these black people which is amazing because in LA everything is so spread out so I grew up like in North Hollywood which is super duper far from like all the black communities I grew up in like Latinx communities around like Mexicans and Salvadorians and also Asian folks like Koreans and Filipinos and folks like that. So mind you, that was great to be in all that culture. Like sometimes I'm like, oh damn, I do wish I grew up like in South Central or I grew up like in Inglewood or like even where my mom grew up, which was like Baldwin Hills, like Deep Park area. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I was more central in the blackness. But what I love about being in New York is like I can exist as a 20 something around so many different black cultures, so many different types of black people and just see us like exist and see us interact and 
experience all of our food. Like I can have Jamaican food one day and I can have Haitian food the next day, and you know, and I can have Southern food and this, that, and the other. And I, I can get African food, which is amazing because I'm half Sierra Leonean and in LA, it's hard to find African food because shit be spaced out. So I love that even though we're all up on each other, it's nice to like go outside and see people that look like me because growing up that wasn't the case and then going to school that really wasn't the case and that was a mind fuck because USC is in the middle of South Central so what the fuck do we look like having a school of 60% white people everybody else makes up the 40% the other 40% and like our whole neighborhood is black and brown but you don't see that on campus so yeah I'm so privileged and I'm so thankful that I'm able to exist in the space of New York and that like I've been welcomed into these creative communities and that folks the like deem my voice as valid in the space because they don't have to do that shit <laughs> you know like I'd be looking at motherfuckers in LA and I'd be like why the fuck who the fuck is this why are you doing that who 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 who's behind you on this like who who co-signed you on this not in the sense of like oh do you have clout but just in the sense of like is you valid bro like do niggas know you in the community like are, are you just some vulture trying to come in and take flicks for the gram and try to be the next Nipsey like What's the goal? So, (laughs) but yeah, like I love, I really love New York. I mean, I love LA too. Like I miss it. I've been saying I really want to go back and this pandemic is fucking me up because I can't go back. I want some tacos and I'm tired of making (laughs) all the food that I miss and it doesn't slap the same. (laughs) So uh, tell me about your loft sessions and inspiration behind it. Mm Mm-hmm. Trying to smoke it's hard um, yeah i can tell yeah it's like a struggle <laughs> um yeah i had lost that was an event series that i started what was that sophomore year probably basically i started the loft sessions because i was seeing that there was a disproportionate lack of representation of black musicians and black creatives in my school, but also in LA. Like when I would see the people who were performing at, um, you know, at big venues and like local venues and doing ticketed shows, like it would be these folk artists and these singer songwriters and power to y'all. But like, that's not the only type of music that exists. And at my school, like they were only deeming cracker music, which is what I call white people music. What? I be calling it cracker music sometimes because white. But people listen, they're just reappropriating black music. No, exactly. So that's why I'm like, no, it's like, like literally, like how your how y'all ancestors were when y'all heard us doing, uh, like, what's that motherfucker's name? There were these two. There was this father son duo. Um, we learned about them in music history. Basically, they would go into the jails, these, these, this white father-son duo. They would go into jails in the South and they would go in with tape recorders and they would interview uh, black prisoners and would record them singing songs and then sold those songs and then made an archive. And they then felt like they were valid because they were like, if it wasn't for us, this piece of history would have been erased, which is bullshit, which is why I call it cracker music because y'all got me fucked up. (laughs) And people don't know that. It's like, oh, what's his name? Mm. Can't think what the black man's name is. I'll do some research and I'll send it to you. Anyway, um, to circle all the way back. So yeah, loft sessions, like I would want to be performing and outside of like my showcases for school, I wasn't really performing like that. Like I couldn't, I could do house parties, but like I couldn't do like, not I couldn't, I wasn't able to do um, like ticketed shows because our, my music and other black people's music wasn't deemed as like, um, I don't know what they thought it wasn't. I guess they thought it wasn't palatable or it wasn't uh, profitable. That's the word, profitable. Um so I said, fuck that, because every time I went to all these stupid frat boy parties, y'all always playing black music, okay? Y'all like having your black homies in there, so y'all look cool. So there's no way that you're going to sit here and try to tell me. And also beyond that, beyond beyond the white gaze, I know that our music, based off of being in school for two years, is the backbone of everything. So I decided to make the loft sessions as a opportunity and a space for black people and black creatives to share their work. So I would create a lineup of like, I don't know, like five or six 
artists and then I'd have like DJs and whatnot. And then I would have visual artists and they'd all be black artists. At first, the first couple ones were, the first two were like USC and UCLA students uh, only because my team at the time was like some of my really good friends at UCLA and then like my good friends at SC. And I was just like, you know, let's make this like a, a, a collaborative like thing because USC and UCLA are known for rival schools. And, but really the reality is, is they're only rivals in the sense of, football sports and like the white people so <laughs> why why do we have this rivalry um so I created that space for us and basically people could apply the first like I would curate the show so people could apply and then I would go through the applications and then I would curate the show and it'd have specific themes and whatnot um, and it ended up being super dope. It was a also like it it was like a super cheap show. Like USC students, like was three dollars. Everybody else was five. Like super cheap, so anybody could come up in there. Like it, it was like a cheaper option for parties that were happening. Um, and it also just gave folks an opportunity not only to listen to their homies, but to learn about new music and learn about new art. Like to dance and groove to somebody that you've never heard of before and to, then to support them as an independent artist, you know, and to continue to listen to them afterwards. Or also, like, there were so many... It was a space for creative Black people to come and connect and to meet each other. So I would always be like, hey, I need a second. I need to go get some water. Like, uh, introduce yourself to three people and tell them what you do and share your information. You know, if, if it vibes, like, do that. You know, I was like, we're a family, we're a community. It's important that we respect each other and that we recognize that if we don't do the work, who's going to, you know? Uh, so, yeah, that's what the Loft Session was. Uh, we did four, five of them. And then I had to stop because I was putting my EP, I, like, was putting reflections on hold. And I was like, wait a minute, I need to, like, work on my art. Like, I love y'all, but I need to also, like, heal and do, you know? share my own stuff so that was dope it was really cool i definitely want to bring it back um i've already have it rebranded and have the idea um i just need the money because moving forward i want to pay artists before it was more so on some like oh the homie would do it or the homie's homie but i really wanted to pay people like beyond feeding them like you know beyond uh giving them a space like I want to pay folks because the reality is is exposure don't pay at the time it was chill because exposure was was helpful um but now like moving forward in just the world that we're in I want to just make sure that I'm paying folks because we have to continue to what's the right word for it we basically have to continue to set the example you know we have to continue to make sure that we're doing our part to make sure that we're putting each other on <laughs> um yeah because these corporations gonna have their own perspective but like as long as we continue to hold ourselves down we're gonna be fine so tell me some of the differences and similarities between choosing a therapist in new york versus the west coast oh my god you've looked me up so deeply <laughs> okay so um hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, I guess I would say choosing a therapist here has been, the therapists I've had in New York have been great so far. I've had two. Um, my first one, I only had her for like five months, maybe. No, not even. Like a couple months. And then she ended up moving on to a higher position in another office. Um, and then my latest therapist I have, uh, her name's Alicia. She's great. She is um, an black. Asian, no, she's an Asian woman, and that's been really chill. Um, for me, I I feel like okay. So I am very much like I have had really bad experiences with white therapists, with white folks. You know, I'm I'm a lot of my uh, marginalized identities, so folks don't really fuck with me sometimes. It's whatever. That's their shit. Wow. Um, <laughs> but no, I've it's had, true. It's true. It's true. Like I've had some therapists in the past where they were folk. They were centering their white guilt more than they were centering the fact that it was my therapy session for my healing. Um, I've definitely experienced like 
feeling silenced or feeling like I can't share my full experience with my therapist in the past because of race, like because of their lack of understanding of race. Um, but I've also, you know, I had, I did recently, one of my therapists, she was white, but she was cool. I think the reason why she was cool was because she was young and also I think she was queer. Like she never said transparently, but was implied in many of our conversations and I really fucked with her because off rip she was like I told her I said I've had experiences in the past with white therapists where they have not uh heard me they've been like more so worried about their anxiety of having a black uh, client and she told me she was like listen like she said I understand she's like I know that I'm white I know that I'm not gonna personally understand your experiences I I recognize that and she was like you know like at any time, she's like, this is about you and your wellness and your well-being and your health. She said, at any time, if you feel like this does not work for you, we can stop. Like you can, and I can redirect you to somebody else and give you some uh, references. Because she was like, at the end of the day, your well-being and your health is like this is what's we're focusing on. You know, we're not focused on like, oh, this makes me feel weird or da 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 or whatever the issue is. And I fucked with her because she said that off rip, but I think that's also because I was direct about the off rip. But I think she like her she just has had experience versus like this other I've had other white therapists where like I think when I was younger, I didn't have, like, you know, like you grow up being black, but you don't necessarily understand every time something is because you're black, like something happens to you because you're black. And I think when I was growing up, like obviously I didn't have the language or the understanding to understand race in the way of like, oh, my my white uh, therapist, she doesn't, she's worried about seeming racist more than she's worried about my safety. But I don't have, I didn't have that language back then, so I didn't really get that. But now as an adult and like once, like when I had that therapist in college and once I like was able to be like, oh, okay, like this is more about you. Like you're more so worried about how you look more than you're worried about my safety and my safety in the sense of like my wellness. Um, my latest therapist, like I said, she's Asian and she's great. <clears throat> I really fuck with her. We've had a similar conversation in the beginning where I just told her, I was like, listen, you know, I was like, I've had, I was like, I've never had like a person of color. I, I've had one black therapist, but I was like, I've never had a person of color as a therapist. And I was like, you know, I do experience a lot of like anti-blackness, but like, and I would like to talk about anti-blackness that I've experienced or like behavior that is anti-black that I've experienced from non-black people of color. Um, and she was very transparent and very much like, I'm willing to have those conversations with you. And like, I'm, I'm here for you in whatever capacity that you need. And she was like, and if you ever feel like this isn't working, like you can let me know. So I think it's really on the therapist. It's not on the client. It's on the therapist to decide and to not even decide, but to determine whether or not they have the range and the capacity to be able to deal with intersectional multicultural um issues and if they don't feel like they have the range for that they shouldn't be a therapist because like your all of your clients are not going to always be white they're not always going to be rich they're not always going to have they're not always going to be able-bodied you know they're not always going to have all of the like we're all we all have privilege don't get me wrong we all have privilege but they're not always going to be like reflections of you like literal like literal reflections because we're all reflections of each other but like a literal reflection and therapists have to do that work you know they need to also check themselves in their anti-blackness and their colorism and their sexism their homophobia whatever the fuck whatever isms and is bias and whatnot phobias and whatnot um it's important that they do that work because it shouldn't be the job of the client to do that work for you and it, it shouldn't take somebody's wellness and their well-being to be under attack for you to then recognize, oh, I have some work to do. I also just feel like the, I mean, the medical field is anti-black as hell and femphobic and all this crap. So I'm not fully surprised. It would be great if the medical fields um, would take the time to explore that and talk more about their erasure and discrimination. Um, but that would take a lot of time and. That's not my field of study, but I'm gonna put that hope out into the uh, universe. <laughs>
So you having an, an Asian therapist, do you feel like even though she's not black, do you, do you feel like she was more understanding of what you were going through than your previous white therapist? Yes, definitely. Not the white therapist that I've just recently had, like in the last year, but definitely ones prior. Um, I do also just think in general, like people of color, non-white people understand oppression in the sense of like them them in relation to white people. Um, and I think it's like a very much a case by case thing. Like in a perfect world, it would be great for all of us to recognize anti-blackness and colorism in all facets and classism, you know, all these things in all facets, but that's not always the case. And I recognize that. Um, but I do appreciate, I think, I think she has more of an understanding because of her experience. Um, even though I don't know what her, obviously I don't know like her personal background or backstory and whatnot, but I think the fact that she is a person of color, she is able to resonate a little more, but that does not mean necessarily that just because she's a person of color or just because someone's a person of color that they inherently understand black experience and black issues because every non black person of color has so much anti-blackness rooted in how they were raised and their parents and and respectability politics and all that shit so i do think she does have a better understanding but i do just think in general like and i think as you get closer up the scale right so it's like the darker people get in the dark like the darker also in terms of like your culture right so in relation to whiteness so the more complex your culture is and as you're going up the totem pole, if we're saying like whiteness is at the bottom and blackness is at the top, if we're going up the totem pole, realistically, it's like, yeah, the closer you are to like what we're uh, the complex and like very, uh, very ranged space of blackness you know the closer you get there uh the ideally that's the more understanding you'd be able to get like colorism and anti-blackness and racism but that's ideally <laughs> that's not always the reality as we know so what's your plan with with lately are you gonna have a, a full-length album another ep or what so with lately <sighs> I wanted to do a video for it. So originally I wasn't going to release it until summer. Like I wasn't going to release it until like right now, honestly, like July. Um, but then the pandemic hit. So I wasn't like, we weren't able to do the video because, you know, we're social distancing. Um, I would like to, once we're able to open back up, I would love to do a video because I have a really beautiful idea, but it's just, it requires a lot of people. So I'm like, thinking about ways that we can do it. Um, but I do want to do a video. Um, Project-wise, I'm not really focused on doing like an EP or an album. Um, my goal is by the end of the year, maybe I'll release like one or two more songs, like on some, okay, this is where I'm at right now because I want folks to see my progress. Um, right now I've been working a lot on like production. I've been working a lot on like creating my own composition and arrangement, which has been amazing, and songwriting. I've been taking lessons with one of my mentors from school, Patrice Russian, and that's been such a privilege uh, to be able to learn and gain insight from such a talented, multidimensional, brilliant woman. She's great. Um, so yeah, right now I'm really just focusing on improving and bettering my skills, like not being so worried about rushing to get shit out. You know, like we live in like this current time where we're so focused on the next thing all the time. And I don't, I just don't want to do that shit anymore. Like in school too, like academia, it teaches you to rush, rush, rush in, in capitalism. It teaches you to quickly execute things so you can get to the next thing but you need to execute it efficiently and I'm right now focused on let me get everything done efficiently and make sure that there's no holes and just feel confident about whatever uh, next material next music that I share um, I'm not really like I think at first I had this vision of like at the beginning of the pandemic <clears throat> I was like yeah I'm going to get a project done and I'm going to do these videos and I'm going to do this and da, da, da. And then I was like, you know what? Like, I don't need to rush. Like, 
I'm still going to be talented. I'm still going to write great music. Like, I don't need to rush. <coughs> Why is there dust in my throat to get to the next thing? Um, yeah, so that's where I'm at right now. Lots of creating and lots of reading. Like, I've been, you know, we were talking earlier about the importance of making sure that, you know, as an artist, you're also combining that social justice work and that community work. So I've been doing a lot of reading and a lot of educating myself <coughs> so that I want to drink this water, but it's not cold. I'm going to drink it. One second. Um, yeah, so I've just been doing a lot of educating myself and reading looking back on history and looking back on people who came before me that I pull in inspiration from and influence from and seeing what they had to say about, you know, whatever they were experiencing and the circumstances and the trauma and everything that was going on and the joy in their lives. Um, and I've also just been really deepening my politic and deepening like, what I'm talking about in music because reflections was very personal and I appreciate it for being personal. But now I want to get to a universal message, like still talk about my personal experiences, but cultivate it in a way where it's universal. And we're also talking about black issues and black liberation and joy and just talking about just my experience as a whole. I think before I kept thinking, oh, like if I want to talk about being queer, like that's a separate song. And if I want to talk about being black, that's a separate song. And I'm, I'm focused on like, no, like this is me, take it or leave it. We're talking about all this in this moment. Like we're recognizing that I can be, I could be like excited that it's pride month and then sad that I can't celebrate it. And also sad that black people are being killed. You know, like there's range and I don't have to, uh, limit myself to uh, like one particular thing. All right. Nayala, thank you so much for being on my little underground. Let, let everybody know where they can find you and all oh, your music and whatnot, social media. This is your time. Yes. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Nayala. It's going to be N and there's a period Y A L L A H. You can find all of my music on all the streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, YouTube, all them things under Nyala, all caps. Um, oh, I have a website where I will be posting all of my updates, whether that be new music. Uh, I have a newsletter that I just started recently that folks can sign up for. If you search my name, Nyala.com, N-Y-A-L-L-A-H.com. And go through the page. It's really beautiful. Um, this person, Amani, created it. They're amazing. If you scroll all the way down, you can sign up for a little newsletter. I basically, like, share updates on a music, um, whether that be, like, numbers, music that's being released, or uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, as well as my thoughts. So if y'all are interested in signing up for that newsletter, which is called Hear Me Out for a Sec, go to my website and do that. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'm also on Twitter, but like, I don't really be on there like that. But if folks want to follow me, that's chill because I do need to get my follower count up. Um, <laughs> it's Nyala Music. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun talking and yeah. hearing somebody like literally do research on me. I was like, damn, you've, you've done it all. You, you know, all the things. <laughs> that was fun. I appreciate that. Yes. Oh, yeah. So um, good. Thank I hope you so you much. Stay cool because Lord, it is hot out here. Oh yeah, the first thing I'm doing after we stop is taking a swig of water. So yeah, immediately. <laughs> immediately. All right. Thank you so much. No problem. Have yep. a good one. You too. Bye.